Chapter Two: The New Page. Duke Gareth of Naxon was tall and thin, with dull brown hair that fell into his muddy brown eyes. Though he was plain looking, there was something. My name is Estelle, and this is Fantasia Divina. This episode's story isn't a personal one, but something I heard during a lecture of a decision science class I took. It's about Margaret Thatcher, former UK Prime Minister, Iron Lady, and her voice. Generally speaking, higher-pitched voices, which are more associated with women's voices, are more likely to be described as shrill or squeaky or annoying. You know, not compliments. But the deeper, aka the more masculine your voice is, the more commanding or attractive it becomes. Even when people get sick, we joke about the sudden sexy husky voice that you get. <laughs> Margaret Thatcher had one of those voices that was not spoken kindly of. I mean, someone described it as a cat sliding down a blackboard. I've listened to earlier recordings of Thatcher, by the way, and her voice sounds completely normal to me. But I guess because she occupied a seat of power, which usually belongs to men, people just couldn't handle the like 200 hertz bass line of her voice or whatever. But anyway, Thatcher apparently trained her voice so that people would take her more seriously as a politician. If you listen to recordings comparing her speech, you can see that later on the pace is slower, which usually helps project confidence. But also, her voice is pitched lower and her tone is harder. She leveraged masculine traits through her voice to boost her presence and weight as a leader, because in our culture, there's a strong association between masculinity and power. Masculinity is a weird creature. So, as we look at this chapter of the book, here are some of the questions on my mind. What other things do we associate with masculinity? What are Alana and her peers learning about masculinity? Is thinking about the social construct of masculinity useful? Does that perpetuate the patriarchy? Does it expand what masculinity means? I don't know. Before I continue rambling. Let's go to the 30-second recap. I hope I do kind of okay. All right, let me just collect myself for a second. Three, two, one, go. Okay, Alana and Karam get to the palace, and she's going by Alan because she's a boy in disguise. Uh, it's going really well. She gets bullied by someone who thinks she looks like a farmer's son, but she makes friends with Jonathan and Raul and all these other people whose names I can't remember. Um, school is really hard. She almost wants to quit, but then she stays because this is what she really wants to do. She does well enough in school that she can go out on the town, and then she meets George. Ooh, king of the thieves.、Um, he'll be important later, and、uh, that's really all I can remember right now. Uh, I'll be real. I was trying to throw myself a softball with the theme of masculinity, but I actually had a hard time with it. But that's why I'm here to practice using my noggin and pretending to have thoughts. As I was reading the chapter, I thought at first, "Oh, this is actually kind of difficult." I've only read Song of the Lioness once, so I don't know it by heart. But I was expecting Alana to struggle a lot with trying to blend in、uh, on a gender-based level, but she just struggles with. Being a student, but then I realized that that invisibility was kind of significant for a theme like masculinity or a dominant group like men, like how a fish isn't aware of the water that it's swimming around in because 
uh, Alana doesn't break the cultural norms of masculinity. So she's basically coasting on that invisible privilege and just swimming along in the boys club. So I'm shifting my reading quest for masculinity now and thinking, what are things we associate with masculinity, good or bad, that are exhibited by these characters? And unfortunately, my first thoughts are about the bad. There's aggression and violence from freaking Laren, Valen, Raul, not Raul, Raul's an angel. <laughs> All right, his name is Rallin. Alana's the new kid at the palace and Rallin immediately picks her out, starts picking on her. And I'm wondering, does he treat all new pages this way? Probably. Even though he says he's picking on Alan because he looks like a low-born, like, country bumpkin farmer's son. Which, by the way, what are the visual signifiers of that? Because Alana, I think, has just gotten into her new clothes or uniform, so... What are you going off of? Maybe it's the haircut. She does say later that George has his hair cut short like most commoners. Anyway, the reason for bullying is always about the bully, not about the person they're bullying. Given that he seems like kind of an outlier among the pages in his behavior, I'm inclined to believe it's not just the harsh training knighthood life that's making him feel like he's got to act out this way. There may be something's going on in his personal life that's breeding this aggression in him. Jonathan, handsome prince Jonathan, also struts in wielding power, but in a different way. Uh, though, honestly, I think his want for dominance is just as strong. It just comes by him way easier given his royal status, but at least he seems to wield his power in a more benevolent way. What else? There's also the obvious lack of female leadership. I think all of their role models are men. I don't think even any of the teachers are women, which I was vaguely surprised by. I think just because in our world, teachers are one of the fewer women-dominated careers. So I guess in Tortal, these boys are implicitly being taught that women aren't role models or even educators. And uh, I'm going to keep jumping around because my brain's kind of fried. I do want to find a positive bit to end this section on, so... Trying to think of a healthy tidbit of masculinity. Okay, well, let's talk about George. We meet George in this chapter. Handsome George. Ooh. Who Alana has a strong liking for. Mmm, foreshadowing. <laughs> George, King of Thieves, is looking for allies. And so I appreciate that looking for comrades brand of masculinity over the I gotta go it alone type. Plus, and I don't know if this is canon, because I forget but I'm reading this through the lens that George knows Alana's secret. I know George has the sight, and Alana does say that her gift should protect her from his gift, but I feel like maybe he knows. And so in the sea of manly men training to be manlier men with their manly teachers and male comrades, uh, I appreciate that the fact that George trusts Alan slash Alana to be a, a worthy potential comrade. Uh, I want to give him a hearty pat on the back for that. I don't know. Is that too generous? Is that like giving him an ally cookie? I don't know. <laughs> it's time for some Lectio Divina. I'm really hoping that after a while, 
I'll get better and better at this. Just as a reminder, Lectio Divina is the practice where we randomly pick a little bit of text from the chapter and then read it through four stages. Here's today's randomly selected snippet. Ah, Gary said dreamily. Free time. I've heard about that. Don't fool yourself, Firetop. The first stage asks, what's happening in the story narratively? This is during Alana's first or second day in classes. She's getting heaps of assignments that she doesn't know when she's going to do. And she's, she's just gotten another assignment. And she's like, but I already have this to do in my free time. And Gary, he's basically telling her, listen, there's no such thing as free time. Stage two of Lectio is looking at the text in an allegorical fashion. I'm thinking about the words, you know, Gary said dreamily and don't fool yourself. It's kind of a lot of language about imagining things or illusions of what's happening. It makes me think about how Alana's having a really sobering moment or a sobering day about how her dream of knighthood is not really as glorious as she thought it would be and that maybe she feels like she fooled herself or maybe she feels like the the whole experience is like basically like she's like getting punked by this experience of how how hard it is also on a different note i love that he calls her firetop i love the little like colorful nicknames that some people give to each other uh i feel like it's such a sign of kinship or of affection and oh my other favorite one is from in the circle of magic series when briar calls tris another redheaded character uh he calls her copper curls it's just delightful <laughs> okay so step three of lectio is to think about what this reminds us of personally i think personally gary and alana are both me in this conversation. I'm not overworked by school or by a job or anything, but I do have a lot of things that I want to do and I don't have enough hours in the day for it. I want to make art, I like to make music, I am working on this little writing podcast endeavor right now, but I always leave free time for myself because uh, well, because focusing is kind of hard for me, but also because I don't want to break my back. But then it also does make me sad because if I stopped staring at my phone so much and doing so many crossword puzzles, I think I could do music and art and this. But a lot of the hours in my day go off to vegetation free time. So Gary is me talking to myself like, if I want to do all those things, I can. Just free time might have to, you know, move aside. Okay, final step, step four of Lectio, is what is the text calling us to do? Hmm. Okay, here's my trouble with this action part. I feel like it's easier for me to see the text calling me to do things that I have already called myself to do. It feels a little bit like cheating. Oh, you know what? If the text is calling me to do something that I'm already working on, then that's okay. It's just another voice in my life trying to get me to live better. <laughs> Anyways, the thing that I thought of is that I need to be real with myself about the time I have in the day. I, like many people, get really excited about the idea of starting new projects, doing new things, picking up new hobbies, learning new crafts, woogity woogity woogity, um, and I can get so wrapped up in thinking about all the things I want to add to my life that I don't think about 
the fact that time is finite and that if I want to add things into my life, I have to also think about what am I taking away? What am I, you know, how am I going to make room for those things? So I think the text is calling me to do another check-in about my time management and making sure I'm spending my weeks the way I want to be. It's time to finish with a blessing for a character, and in this chapter, I'd like to bless our protagonist, Alana. After Alana demonstrates some basic math skills, the teacher, he says like, okay, so now it's time to learn algebra, and Alana says, why? And he's like, it's important, and you can learn to like calculate catapult trajectories. It's pretty, it's pretty nifty, and Alana is like, wow, amazing, incredible. And I want to bless her for her genuine curiosity and wonder and for that glimmer in her heart when she wants to learn more. My mom tried to pull this logic on me with calculus. Uh, it did not work. I mean, I took calc anyway, but I <laughs> those priests just probably have to explain to so many ungrateful noble children why they need to learn reading and writing and math. And I think Alana's enthusiasm would make my day. And I think it's a really valuable trait to have, an enthusiasm for learning. So, blessings to Alana. I don't have a stock outro written for these. Maybe I should do that. If anyone's listening, feel free to write in or send a voicemail with your thoughts, comments, questions, hot takes, etc. The next episode is going to be about Chapter 3, Rallin, through the theme of helplessness. So I'll see you next time. And as the Tortalans like to say, God's all bless. It's time for a million dollar idea, another million dollar idea. Okay. We good?